Good morning, everyone. When I was asked to give a reflection on Philippians for our women's Bible study, I knew exactly what verses I'd like to think about, those being chapter 2, 1 through 4. However, our study guide today cuts me off at verse 2, but I will be including verses 3 and 4 if you don't mind. I have important history with these verses, and they really should be kept together, but that's only my opinion. Our study guide authors did not consult with me before writing this guide, but I'm sure they'll be okay with me including those verses. I came to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ during the summer after my junior year in college. I had spent my whole life in church only hearing about God and about being good. After that life-changing summer, I spent my senior year absorbing scripture like a sponge and talking to anyone and everyone about my new love. I applied to Presbyterian seminaries, hoping to go right after graduation. But God intervened, thankfully, and put me in a very safe and nurturing place in order for me to grow into this new faith. I was offered the job of dorm resident at Montreat Anderson College, where I spent two years being taught by some truly great men and women of the faith. It was during these years that I became very acquainted with Philippians 2, 1 through 4. We were a small community of young adults in Montreat. There weren't many of us, so we got to know each other rather well. Sometimes it felt a little bit too well. If someone got on your nerves, there weren't many options. One person, Bill, was someone who seriously got on my nerves, and I know I got on his. We developed a habit of sparring with each other when we were in groups. But even though I didn't like him, I thought our interaction was sometimes funny, and people often laughed with us. One day, the wife of one of the professors at Montreat asked us both to come to her house for coffee. I thought that was odd, but I really liked her, so I agreed to go. She sat us both down in her living room and then read to us from Philippians 2, 1 through 4. She told us that our behavior towards one another did not reflect Christ and that we were harming the community we lived in by our lack of respect and love for one another. She went on to describe how we would attack each other and belittle each other, and how painful that had become for her. Knowing us each to have true faith, this witness of disharmony needed to end. Then she told us she was going on a walk and would pray for us, but we were not to leave her home until we worked it out. That had never happened to me. No one had ever sat me down to confront me with Scripture. At first, I was humiliated and angry. I just sat there with my arms crossed and a frown on my face. Very, very slowly, I became humbled and ashamed. I knew she was right, and I knew Scripture was clear. I just didn't know what to do. I had not been a Christian long enough to know how to reconcile with someone in this way. 
especially someone I didn't like and who was so different than me. Bill and I stayed in her living room for another hour or so, stumbling through how to right our relationship. Joan must have prayed some kind of prayer, because when we finally left her house that day, we had a new relationship. We would have to practice this new way of treating each other, but soon he became a trusted friend and a faithful brother in the Lord. I learned a new way to love that day, to love someone who was so very different than me and who I continued to disagree with. We shared a common love of Christ, which became more important than our differences. We rarely spoke a crossword with each other after that, even though we would continue to find ourselves on different sides of issues. What became more important that day is that we were like-minded in the faith. We know from the beginning of Philippians that this is a church that was very close to Paul's heart. Most of the letters Paul wrote to churches dealt with disharmony. That's because every church has disharmony. People not getting along. Their disagreements affecting the life and ministry and witness of the church. This is one of the things Paul wanted to address in his letter to the church at Philippi, and he does so in a kind and gentle manner, much more so than in Romans or Galatians or Corinthians. Paul appeals to the Philippians' experience of Christ in their lives, to their understanding of what Jesus' death had given them, grace and forgiveness and fellowship. My friend Joan had used this special admonition in Philippians 2 to interrupt the toxic way Bill and I were treating each other. Thankfully, we were able to hear it and act on it. I imagine that the members of the church at Philippi heard Paul's words and were moved to commit themselves to another, to one another in the type of love he describes in verses 3 and 4. One of humility, considering others better than themselves, doing nothing out of vain conceit or selfish ambition. In chapter 4, Paul will again plead harmony to specific people, but his message remains the same, loving out of humility. I have often looked at these verses in Philippians as a description of my relationship with Christ. I have great encouragement from being united with Him, more so than from any relationship I have ever had or will have. For me, initially this meant finding a purpose for life, and it meant knowing my true value. I have known and know today comfort from His love, Comfort that heals the greatest of my pains. I know intimate fellowship with His Spirit through prayer and worship and through close spiritual friends. I have known tenderness and compassion poured out through His forgiveness and restoration. These are all things Christ has given me in abundance. What follows naturally from knowing these things, Paul writes, is that we, or I, would be like-minded towards others, 
having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Paul wrote this to the church family at Philippi, but I know it's not limited to church relationships. This encouragement, this comfort, this tenderness and compassion that I have from Jesus can enable me to respond the same to anyone God puts in my world. In preparing for this reflection, I have read these verses, 127 through 22, daily for several weeks. I've almost separated them from the rest of the letter, which is never a good practice. However, one thing I've gained from this practice is that I created a new prayer for myself, one that I now pray before getting out of bed. Whatever happens, let me conduct myself worthy of the gospel of Christ today. You know, the truth is that I've been given everything I need through this relationship with Christ to be able to do this very thing, to live a life worthy of the gospel. All has been done for me. However, the other truth is that I live in a fallen world and I am a sinful creature who needs forgiveness. So I fall short most days of living a worthy life. But this I remember. I do have encouragement from being united with Christ. I do have comfort from His love. I do have fellowship with His Spirit, and I do have tenderness and compassion. I have all these things. I need only to meditate on these and allow them to change my behavior. In the late 1970s, Francis Schaeffer wrote a book entitled, How Should We Then Live?, which I tried to read. His son then made a film series from the book, which I tried to watch. Because of my simple brain, what stayed with me most is the title, How Should We Then Live? In so many ways, I think that title describes Paul's letters, especially Philippians. This is how we should then live. Because of Christ's love for us, his death for us, and his resurrection, this is how we should then live, conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this letter from Paul. Thank you for his words to the church he loved. Help us to take these words into our hearts, giving them room to change us into women who conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of your gospel. Let it be said of us, see how they love one another.